Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to A Hungry Society. I'm Korsha Wilson, and this is a show where we talk about food, food media, and so much more. Today's guest is Therese Nelson, chef and founder of Black Culinary History, an organization she started in 2008 as a way to connect chefs of color in order to preserve black heritage throughout the African culinary diaspora. She works to promote, share, and preserve the legacy and work of black chefs for the next generation. Chef Nelson is a proud product of Newark, New Jersey, where she was born and raised. She is a graduate of Johnson & Wales University and has worked in kitchens in the Hilton, Marriott, and the Four Seasons. Therese, welcome to A Hungry Society. Hey, of course. Thank I'm, you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. Um, so when I moved to New York um, a little over a year ago, I, I started noticing your face at every event. <laughs> I try. I try to get out amongst the people every now for, and then. For chefs of color and... I honestly, I can't think of a bigger like cheerleader for chefs of color than, than you. Yeah, I'm having to sort of um, embrace that sort of mantle. But it's one of those things where um, it's really, when it really boils down, that's exactly what I want my work to really be focused on. Mm-hmm. There's so many dope brown folks doing amazing work all over. And we keep reading these articles about where we are. I'm like, what do you mean? It's so <laughs> We've a crazy here. question. <laughs> we out here. We built this. <laughs> Yeah, I was, um, when I was researching, like doing more research about you, mm-hmm. um, I came across this podcast episode of Hot Grease, yes, Nicole Taylor's yes, podcast on Heritage people. Radio, and she had you and Karen Washington. The Karen Washington. The yes. Karen Washington. 
and it was on MLK Day, mm-hmm. 2013, Obama's second inauguration. Yes. It was this fortuitous day. She it, just made the Nicole. First of all, whenever Nicole asks anyone out there, yeah. anyone, whenever Nicole Taylor asks you to do anything, you say yes. Do it. But do that it. particular day was like so weird that it all conspired the mm-hmm. same day. It was awesome. It and that episode, it was just there was so much like joy and happiness and mm-hmm. excitement in in all three of you talking about yes. not just uh, the like politics and mm-hmm. what was happening, but also about the food world. Yes. Um, so four years, almost five years later, yes. <laughs> things are definitely <laughs> different on the political side. Yeah. But they're also different uh, in the food world. Absolutely. Absolutely. What What have you seen? So, you got, so I think a lot of times um, we talk about these millennial culture, but the, it really does move very quickly. And I think that to look at so so my start, I started in oh like late oh eight around Christmas time, the holidays of oh eight. So I always claim oh nine, um, but two thousand nine. So social media is just starting. Facebook is just becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. So then sort of. The conversation you're talking about was 2012 or 2013. Mm-hmm. Like the, um, so just the, first of all, that five-year shift being so dramatic in terms of the way that we operated, way, the way media operated, mm-hmm. um, was such a shift at that moment. But in the last five years, I think I've seen such a, almost like a taking up of arms in the black community um, where we have realized our own value and worth and so many folks have sort of embraced heritage in a way that they hadn't before or didn't mm-hmm. feel latitude to before. Um, I mean, restaurants like the Cecil, um, look at what Eduardo Jordan is doing in Seattle. Mm-hmm. All of that is really a, a manifestation of the last five or so years where folks are feeling like, okay, I really do have a voice and platform where mm-hmm. I can actually talk about my own heritage in a way that is not going to be stigmatized or whatever, or at least I have the vocabulary to mm-hmm. do it without sort of feeling any kind of way. Right. Um, that's the biggest shift I've seen. Right. So I was listening to it and I was like, wow, we we have come so far, mm-hmm. but we still have like a long way to go so in terms of like actually creating like full equity right. for people. Not, well, people of color in general, no, no. but specifically black people yes. in the food world. Which I don't think, I think is absolutely true. It's something that is not, it's not, un, it's not, it's, it's, it's expected to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at how long it's taken the system to be um, built in this inequitable way i mean the, how you dismantle a crappy house i mean you got the <laughs> brick by brick and i mean honestly it's lifelong work and it's sort of rooted work and it's gonna take time and it's i think it's gonna take time to clarify the ass or clarify the mission of the work right because mm-hmm. a lot of times i think we have these very broad conversations about um diversity and access but what that really is gonna look like or mean is less clear i think a lot of the work happening in the last five years that you mentioned in terms of the growth we've seen has been about people clarifying their ass or clarifying what um, that access looks like and being specific about it. Because honestly, you can't ask folks to access their own spaces without um, a sort of feeling of a reality of being beholden to whatever they're willing to give. And mm. honestly, I'm kind of over that ask. So, Are you saying um, in terms of being a black chef or a black food writer? All of it. I mean, so when I started my career, I always wanted to be a caterer because very honestly, I thought about this food space that I was coming in. And I, I know for sure I was not thinking about it expansively at 18, but I definitely thought about um, the notion of this career that I was going into um, being very white and very male. That was just my initial, um, my initial impression 
And where was I going to personally have my own, have the most latitude in my own work? And I realized it was probably going to be in catering. So the first, I mean, I soaked up everything I could soak up in culinary school. I went to Johnson Wales and got a business degree as well so that I would be prepared. Mm-hmm. And I knew for sure that I needed to pick up these tools to be able to run my own business to cook what the way I wanted to cook in the spheres I wanted to cook in. But that's not that's everybody's truth or reality. And so this idea about what restaurant you work for, what media space you write for, we live in a world where we are 13% of the population. That's a truth. That mm-hmm. is a reality. And so when I we criticize spaces, mainstream spaces, for lack of inclusion, that's an absolutely valid conversation to have. But there's no incentive for them to care more about our heritage than we do. And so I don't know that I'm, I'm at a place in my age or life or whatever where I'm interested in asking that anymore. Mm-hmm. If you want to write about some dope person I know that's doing amazing work, absolutely. But it shouldn't be the only space that we have to highlight and cheerlead and get our voices out there. And it's also not the most interesting way right. to get those voices out, I don't think. So Nicole, when she was here on my first episode. Yes, passing the torch. Yes. Yeah, amazing first episode. <laughs> that, was, that was like, I don't know, that was the, the, the world conspiring. It's like this <laughs> amazing change in the yeah. Um, she said that she's over the discussion of appropriation mm-hmm. and she wants to talk about power. Yes. So you're kind of, you're touching on that too mm-hmm. of instead of looking to these gatekeepers to make different decisions from than what they've been doing, mm-hmm. saying to them, not to them, but saying to the cons- people who are consuming right. these products, entities, restaurants, everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just a, us, because the other thing I, I realized um, over the course of my work is that this is not a conversation that is exclusive to us. Right. Every, I mean, every other community that I go into as a person of color, as a, a chef in these other spaces, especially if they're places of color, with people of color, they're all having the same conversation. Right. And so there's got to be some synergy among folks in, in multiple disciplines to have best practices lend themselves to everybody else's work. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I'm over having the conversation about, you know, why white folks don't value what we do because mm-hmm. you don't have to. I mean, I, they don't have to. Mm-hmm. And is that going to mean something for what you earn? Is it going to mean something for the degree of shine? Is that gonna, I don't know. But it's got to be centered in what you're actually looking to get from the experience. You know, if you're talking about access, what you're really talking about is resources to to further your work mm-hmm. and if that's that's a fair conversation to have i want to be a, i want to be a food writer that's your motivation and so i need to be in larger mainstream spaces that are going to give me wider access to more eyes voices etc mm-hmm. so yeah to a, a long time ago really not that long ago it meant that you had to be have access to the new york times and mm-hmm. all these other spaces and those were not spaces that were necessarily checking for us well now Food media, in a lot of ways, is is a lot more democratic. Is your blog going to be as important to the mainstream as the New York Times food page? Probably not. But if you are consistent and passionate and dope on your blog, Mm -hmm. then those spaces are going to come looking for you. I think that's something that we always discount, that the the work we do isn't amazing in itself. Mm -hmm. And that eventually you're going to have some degree of shine. But that's never, nobody that I know who's doing important dope work ever thought about the shine before the work so right. i don't know they that, just got to work right and so there are people uh, the thing about other disciplines is that 
I mean, all these other folks have ways and access to. I don't need to know how how to be the most brilliant PR mind because I have people like Robin Cowell mm-hmm. who can tell me. <laughs> you know what I mean give me best practices in yeah. that sphere. We all need to just know that whatever space you're in is amazing, mm-hmm. and that that work is really the thing. You can't want the 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 Food Network show if you can't cook. You right. can't. You, the work of it comes first, and. Right. Access to Food Network is not as important as it used to be, right? Like, even that. It's true, yeah. I mean, right now there's so many podcasts. and I mean, that's something about Democratic, um, the space being Democratic. Your own podcast, your own website, your own, mm-hmm. all these things are so much more accessible than they used to be. And if only you have the vision of forethought to sort of put your own voice out there and have it not, have it not need to be as grand in your mind as you thought mm-hmm. it was going to be, but just fo- centered on the work you want to put out to the larger world, right. the audience will come. Mm-hmm. They're actually looking for alternative spaces mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that they have. And maybe that's another mm-hmm. ch- shift that yeah. the, the public is um, less beholden to these gatekeepers or sort of larger spaces right. and um, doing their own detective work and finding out smaller, more, um, I don't know, less known spaces for their media for their dining for everything for everything so i when i was researching you too i i saw this article that you did and you were talking about edna lewis Mm -hmm. and how finding out about her shifted things for you Mm -hmm. can you talk about that so i remember being in high school and thinking i was gonna go to Rutgers. i was i'm from newark new jersey newark is you know Rutgers is the center in newark and i was going to be a computer engineer and i was going to be that and i was going to have a secure adulthood i was going to you know <laughs> oh yo is we had a generation of you going to technology you always have a job that kind of thing mm-hmm. um but i remember my local library Literally, nobody ever went. Um, <laughs> but they had this very small, sad little food section with a lot of cookbooks of people that I've been able to meet in my travels around the, um, through my career. But I remember finding Taste of Country cooking. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't the issue with the 30, like the 30th anniversary where a picture on front. But I remember this picture of her. Um, and she looks so much like my grandmother. Mm. And we read through her writing and read through the recipes. Is this super personal story. I mean, she's literally just, it doesn't qualify that she's this black woman. She is. It's in everything about her. It's in the marrow of her bones. But this story is literally just a human story about the way that her family grew up and these food ways that are of this place and time. And, very specific and for it to be so lyrical and it be mm-hmm. so beautifully written and have the recipes be some things I knew about, some things I didn't. It blew my mind at eight, at 17 and I started thinking about food in a, in a professional way. Like how really, I mean, I, PBS was really the only space at the time, you're talking about in 98, 99, mm-hmm. where you could really go and find like concentrated food media. I mean, me, it wasn't really, for me at least in my limited access, wasn't this expansive thing so wow this woman hmm. what could you and so I started to research and it just got me when I started the site it was at that point had been maybe eight or nine years from finding that cookbook and I realized that I hadn't even gone back to it really mm. over all of that time that you get into you know you get into this this work this culinary work and it is all encompassing all consuming your mm-hmm. life is that kitchen and that job and that accountability and coning this craft but why would it, what are the reasons that I really wanted to come to this work? And it was really sort of this idea about 
this life that you could have in food, really. Mm-hmm. If you could do something well that's as simple as cooking and that was so personal that you could make a good life from it. I mean, researching her life and this great migration story that all of our grandparents have, um, you know, her story of restaurant ownership, and, you know, just being this authority and have her be so revered now at post-mortem, like, it's such a gift, but... What if we had thought about her more expansively in our own community when she was still alive? Right. What impact would she have had? What different? How differently would we all look at our own careers? Mm-hmm. How different would food media think about us? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I just, for me, her legacy is not so much this sort of globally revered thing. It's this personal connection to the idea that, specifically as a black woman, mm-hmm. um, just by being who she was in her long flowing caftans, right. her, you know, unapologetic, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful black hair, like all of it was enough. She didn't need to be more than she was. She didn't need to be different than she was. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. And I need, I need a moment with that. I was just about to say something and then I just let those words kind of wash over me for a second. Um, Thinking about that and the the role that black women in general have played mm-hmm. in all over in food, but specifically in this country, mm-hmm. um, it, it's crazy to me that she, her legacy is, it being widely known is, is so recent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, that's It's just, offensive. Yeah. <laughs> No, yes. I, yeah. yeah. No. That's that's the perfect word for it. It's it's absurd. Mm-hmm. It's it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know. I mean, I I think a lot of times think. So you think about like think about Tony Martin's Tony Tipton Martin wrote mm-hmm. the Jemima Code, and for some people that might have been their first connection to Edna Lewis, right? But then think about all the other women, all the other folks in that book. I think so often. Um, we get tunnel vision in our own careers, and don't especially black women. Like we are so worried, uh, consumed with the business of just being able to own our own space in this work, because always being questioned. Um, but Annie Northup was Solomon Northup's wife. This woman was apparently the the dopest, baddest baker of her day. She the reason that Solomon was by himself when he got captured was because she was out in these streets. She had gone to some. Um, there was a retreat or something she had she catered and she mm. and her children had gone off to do this this a year, once a year gig she was doing and but she was called upon because she was so amazing there's an authority with which we have legacy in this work we mm. were the skilled work i mean the stories you hear about um uh, philadelphia like you know being this sort of hub for culture and food i mean but that it was black and brown people from mm-hmm. haiti and, and all over the caribbean and and the free brown folks from here mm-hmm. um, that set this these trends in the, the, the early part of the 19th century that we talk we can't talk about American food ways American food culture American dining in any expansive way but you mm-hmm. find out you can't talk about it without our skilled and and, and technique driven mm-hmm. contribution and women were always at the forefront of that we're always at the in the the, 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 the we weren't. It wasn't shiny work. It wasn't no. revered work. It wasn't even valuable work until very, very, very recently. But we had always been the voices, the hands that were stirring that. The pie. bodies, yeah. The bodies. Mm-hmm. So how do we not 
pull that legacy into our own sort of it's got to be part of your marrow, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's got to be part of why you are unapologetic about your dopeness. How can I not be my own cheerleader? How can I not be cheerleader for all these women who we all know and we all can name off the top of our heads if we don't, because we have women like this who literally did it without need for thanks or praise or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. It would be like a slap in the face to that. Yeah. They did it because it was in them and they yeah. wanted to. Yeah. Before it was cool. Like, right. I mean, that's the thing, too. Like, um, Joe Randall talks a lot about um, being in ACF around that time when the government changed this designation. This used to be domestic work, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this was work that my folks didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tra- all these training schools and um, around the country where folks sending their black servants to go and get trained so they come back and show off to, you know, validate their own wealth or knowledge or sort of chicness or whatever mm-hmm. and so don't you think that we took that back into our own families our own our baking traditions all these things that are so central to black food ways black culture are not just mistake like this mm-hmm. is you know the result of blood sweat and literal tears that gets dismissed because it doesn't look like you said about as shiny as french food or, you know mm-hmm. it's, it's like it's not as revered as much by other folks, but we have to start from a place where we revere ourselves mm-hmm. and are doing the work in our own work, our own restaurants or writing or whatever that reveres it without needing anybody else to qualify it because we know it intuitively. But there's, it's not, this is not a matter of opinion. This is, right. these are facts. It's a these fact. are, I mean, yeah, like these <laughs> are, there's no, we don't need anybody else. This is truth. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, amen. <laughs> it's not Sunday, but amen. <laughs> um, so we're going to take a quick break, um, and we'll be right back with more from Therese Nelson. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. So we are back with Therese Nelson of Black Culinary History. Um, so we're going to shift a little bit from talking about the the history and importance of black people and black women and mm-hmm. food to the, the next generation mm-hmm. and how we lay the groundwork to make sure that 
it continues mm-hmm. and we open more doors. Yes. It's that, that's something that I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you think about it too. Yes, constantly. Yeah. So recently, actually Tuesday, um, I was at Brownsville Community Culinary Center. Um, it's right here. It was actually, I don't know how, my, my Brooklyn geography is a little dicey, but um, <laughs> it's in the center of Brownsville. And it's, whenever you hear Brownsville specifically, you think of it as you do Newark or Detroit or these other, other urban cities where um, there's an initial reaction. For the, for, for the expectation for folks who come from there. Mm-hmm. So this center, Nicole Taylor is involved in, when she, like I said, when she asked you to do something, you do it. You do it. And so I went over to talk to these kids, and the one of the last questions I got was from this young woman, and the question was, I mean, I'm sure she meant it seriously, but it was one of these kind of one of questions where I think she thought she was going to get sort of a panned answer about what advice she'd give to young women in food. Young women wanted to come to this career. And... <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, it was something clicked for me because it's like, hmm, you know, do you really want the real answer? Because you can give the pan like, you know, well, if you just work hard and just try hard, <laughs> because that's the thing you tell young people, right? You know, you want them to be ambitious and you want them to work hard, and and a lot. I think a lot of times also, the conversation I've been disturbed by is this kind of condemnation of millennial culture and this sort of mm-hmm. these kids don't and it's because I think every generation has the same reaction to the generation behind them. What did our, you know, mothers, grandmothers think about think about our generation? Mm-hmm. And I think there's gotta be a pause in that because part of the part you talked about about responsibility to ones coming behind us is if we don't like the crop that's coming up, we have to look at what we what we sold, what we mm-hmm. what what foundation we laid. And so there's gotta be some degree of onus on us. But I think about this young woman, right? Because she was fully expecting this sort of panned answer. And one of the things I really tried to drop home was this fact about our legit legacy and resistance, right? Like, we have had examples as far back as time um, of women, black women, who were willing to kick indoors and be unpopular and be um, unapologetic and get what they needed to get to, to make their lives valuable work, to make their families' lives valuable. And so that's the kind, I mean, it's kind of the spirit that I wish and hope for these young people, especially young women, to have. That you're not going to, no one is going to hand you anything, period. Mm-hmm. But no one is, you also kind of, you're going to be, there's a boot on your neck already. <laughs> like there's, there is a little you have strikes against you before you even open your mouth no matter how brilliant you are no matter how amazing your work is you have strikes against you and that's just a fact but that does not have to mean anything for what you put out into the world which mm. how you go about your business because it's got to mean it's got to mean you got to want it more especially in food this is not work if you just want a job this is not the industry for you right but if you have this calling to this work not only is it going to be valuable not only is it going to be beautiful and brilliant but you have if you really want to come to this or you really have this calling you have so many women behind you who literally left you a blueprint mm-hmm. from Anna Lewis to to Anne Northrup to all I mean to us sitting in this room are mm-hmm. literally here to uplift and move along these young babies who want to come behind us mm-hmm. I think a lot of times the feeling is that we all just trying to make our own lives work, right? right? Like you just trying to go about the business of keeping your lights on and you know, keeping your life running and doing the work that you find valuable. And in that does not leave a lot of room for resources for other folks. And that's a perfectly fair and valid way to be. But 
it's not it's I don't know we we all have more responsibility than that I think we can't we can't ask why um things keep circularly happening right mm-hmm. like this conversation I'm sure is one that if you I think if you talk to Jessica Harris may be similar to one she may have had in with Baldwin and I was like, you know mm-hmm. this is not a, a unique moment we're in I think it's unique for us it's unique for this new moment in food we're in a new era but the conversation itself about access and about latitude and sort of mm. breadth of you know ability to have our own space it's not one that it's not yeah. been had generationally and so I want us to be in a place where we are really thinking more expansively about how we include these young people in these conversations and prepare them earlier to not have to have this conversation in their own generation 10 years from now. Right. Like breaking that, you you said, when we were talking earlier, you said this really cool phrase of circular conversations. And we do that in food mm-hmm. of this is the problem. And then, you know, a few people weigh in on, you know, this is the solution mm-hmm. or, you know, this is really the problem. And then it just kind of gets buried mm-hmm. and then we'll resurrect it maybe a year or two mm-hmm. later, but nothing actually gets fixed. Yeah. It just continues. Because I think, like I was saying earlier, the thing about um, clarity of the ass, because when you're talking about why we aren't, like, just being more specific about this conversation, we're all black chefs. What do you mean? Because that's, cause that's my next question 100% over the last five years. What is exactly that you mean? If you mean we're all black chefs in fine dining, that's a very specific conversation. But if even that is not particularly contextualized enough. Mm-hmm. We need to just be clear when we write these, when we have these conversations. Not the not the big ad, the big sort of, you know, articles or whatever, but like in our own personal conversations. What are we really angry at? What are we really mad at? What are we really asking for? Because you can't be, you can't get what you want if you don't ask for what you need. We also can't fix a problem if you are not sure preach. what the problem is. Right. And that's, what just, that's just what I meant about circular. Because it's like, like you said, a lot of times these problems seem so much bigger than they are. To me, the access problem is, it's a it's a big problem. It's less big than it used to be. Um, that's one of the good things about the last five to ten years. But I don't know. It's, so for some folks, it is wanting to be at these very specific tables. For me, it's more wanting to have more resources to expand the work I'm doing, mm-hmm. right? Like, so if it means writing an article for mainstream, mainstream publication because more folks are going to see it, then okay, I'll write that article, but it's also being more democratic or more, more discerning about which ones you take, right? Yeah, like, right? A lot of times you want access to a table that really isn't set for you. Mm-hmm. You want access to um, a space that really isn't actually including you. Mm-hmm. You are token now, as opposed to being a um, a partner or mm-hmm. a, you know what I mean. Like you, I don't want to. Sometimes don't, it's like it's not even a, a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. It's the crumbs yes, <laughs> left over yes. from the dinner that's been had at the table. Yes, and you supposed um, to say thank you. And I remember um, Michael Twitty. He mm-hmm. actually tweeted that a lot of publications will ask him for slave recipes. Do you have like some slave appetizers that you could? Yeah. Give us slave to include ap- yeah. slave appetizers. appetizers. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> like that's not and whatever publication this was, mm. if they had printed that, they would have patted themselves on the back for being inclusive yep. and, you know, tackling diversity. Mm-hmm. But that's not actually what you're doing. You are just giving hmm. some crumbs right. to an author and thinking that that's enough. And that's not 
that's not okay. Well, so two things. One, um, somebody like Michael, who is, the work he's doing is so singular, right? And there's a there's a luxury to that, but it's also a downfall to that, right? Like you're access to resources is limited when your voice and, and message is so specific that folks were not going to want to respond to that we're not going to want to support that he gets so much for all the praise and everything that's happening mm-hmm. right now there is so much backlash yes. so much you know and so to be in a place where you have to be so secure in what your message is that you don't that you can defy all of the noise that's going to be around that is not necessarily something that a lot of people have in them and right. if you don't even have access to your own um to to any latitude in your own work how are you even able to if I, if I'm if I can't pay my rent how am I turn down writing work how am I turn you know what I mean so that's that's a one that's part of the struggle mm-hmm. but then the other part of it is think about somebody like okay so so Michael talked talked about um access to that table but think about like um that's my chance like um <laughs> <laughs> um like it's not so much about, um, oh, like so we talked about earlier about um, these publications that will specify what they want before mm-hmm. you even sending your proposal for right. an article, right? And so, is it? It's on, it's kind of on us to then de- redefine what that ask from them is. Well, when they call you and ask you for this marginalized article mm-hmm. or quote, you know, quote for an article or seen on a panel that you know is really token a token um how much of a responsibility to say no or to redirect mm-hmm. what they thought they wanted to something that more represents what you think right should be because they asked you for a reason right and so that part of that power right that part of your access your platform or whatever has got to be more focus driven if we're all gonna mm-hmm. move the the goalposts forward definitely um, and that's a big ask. That's a big mm-hmm. ask in, in, in a relatively new media space when some folks don't even know we have access to certain spaces. You know right. what I mean? Like, we don't even... Some people have, just have aspiration but no actual access. Mm-hmm. So it's I, it's a hard thing to ask somebody it to is. do, but it's really the only thing that's going to be... the only way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have, I have some questions that I ask every guest. Sure. Um, do you have a favorite restaurant at the moment? Um... So it used to be the Cecil, and you know that's that. But um, there's a guy named Banks, um, Banks White, who used to work at the Cecil. Well, he used to work at Minton. So mm-hmm. when they were all sort of a team, um, he's in Seattle now. I mean San Francisco now. He is probably um, he's been on some list or whatever, and people know his work. But this man, the way he cooks right now, I mean, it's the most inspired, most delicious, most brilliant. Any way he's cooking, I'm going. Yeah. And he's right now, he's at this place called Rambler in San Francisco. It the Just from the pictures, I'm making a trip to San Francisco next year. Nice. Committed. But um, anyway, Banks is cooking. Also, Dwayne Nutter. Um, he's um, at a, He used to be out of Atlanta. I think he's in Mobile now. Mobile, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his restaurant's <laughs> called National. But yes, anything Dwayne Nutter cooks, I'm going to eat. So wherever <laughs> those two are in the world, that's where I'm going to eat. Do you have any, like, neighborhood restaurants or, like, you know? So I don't really, I'm not, see, this thing, we also in Brooklyn. Like, everybody I know in the New York area always points to Brooklyn as the restaurant. You know, I don't know Brooklyn that well. But 
right now, I think if I was going to go out, I'd probably go to Chef's, um, Chef's Club. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit of a mix of different chefs. Right now, JJ's doing um, yep. his residency there. But I mean, I'm sure whoever's coming next is going to be dope. And it's a place where you can go and have a lot of experiences week to week, usually. So mm-hmm. That's pretty dope. I like yeah. That, Chef's Club is awesome, especially right now mm-hmm. with JJ. Um, can you talk about, you, you can name names if you want to, but okay. you don't have to. Um, can you talk about one of the worst dining experiences you've ever had? Excuse me. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm. Pr- let me tell you that going out to eat in general is like one of the most, it's like a treat. Because mm-hmm. I'm just time wise, so I, I figure I, right now I'm down to about five or six times a year. I'm going out to some places special, and I actually have to like comb my hair and all. <laughs> um, but <coughs> I, I don't know. Worse is kind of a relative thing. I don't know if mm. I have a, a worse. Well, experience. any like memorable like bad experiences you've had in a restaurant. You know what I don't enjoy? I don't enjoy when you go to a restaurant that's supposed to be simple. Like, um, you used to have a his spot, and I won't name I won't name the name. But I live in East Harlem, and okay. there used to be a spot. I'm on I'm between first and second. There used to be a spot a little farther down from me, but on First Avenue, and it was like it's supposed to be this neighborhood, like um, you know, sort of representing Harlem, you know, sort of black foodways, whatever. And the woman who owned it was super nice and. She was, but she was never there. And mm-hmm. it was one only like, it was supposed to be like this kind of fresh take on. So it was like, you know, if you were in neighborhood, I'm not as gentrified as the West Side, but with East Side, a little, it's getting there. So this feeling of like a wider audience in, you know, enjoying this sort of black foodways experience. But it was, she was never there. So every time you would call, um, the girl was, the person who answered the phone was, little bit rude mm. the food was inconsistent when she wasn't there it just you started off with like this amazing packaging and just like really i mean and then it just sort of declined just, my thing is just i want our things to, to not be janky like why can't we why can't we keep up these standards and there's a lot of reasons why right. i mean you know black ownership and bit like that's one of the <clears> things <throat> i was talking about earlier like access to spaces right like right we out what, what do you mean by where we are what you're asking is about access. Why do black? Why do restaurants mm-hmm. fail? Period. But why do black restaurants? Because we don't start with the same capital everybody starts out with. Right. You start out with these amazing bags and great packaging, all of this. But then your profits start declining, and you don't have more more you know income flow. So yeah, you can't afford the dope, you know, biodegradable, mm-hmm. you know, china glass silver, whatever. And so things start to decline. But yeah, that was it. Was sad to me, and it's something that I see a lot in. So there's simple concepts where you don't set a standard early, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's like this thing that was my go-to. I used to love this particular yeah. salad, and I don't even want to call and go anymore. Like, yikes. yeah, that's always disappointing <clears throat> when someplace you love. I w- I was actually talking to my husband about this recently about how introducing like your favorite restaurant mm-hmm. to someone you know, someone you love, yeah. is like introducing someone you're dating to like your family. Yeah. And when they don't act right, yeah. you are embarrassed. Yes. You're just like, okay, please, just just, just this time, just, just just be good, <laughs> just be good this time, please, yeah. please. And so it's so disappointing when when restaurants don't mm-hmm. live up to the the, the love hi- that the hype that you've put on yes. them and the love that you have for them. Yes, but you know, um, <laughs> if you could have a meal, mm-hmm. your last meal in a restaurant, yes. where would it be, and who's invited? 
So you see me square. I think this. I was thinking about this thing. Now I'm not sure it would be a restaurant per se. It would probably be some place like, like the James Beer House or Madam C J Walker has mm-hmm. a, a, a mansion upstate, a little farther upstate. Where? Um. Oh, it's it's like not. It's a little farther north than Westchester, but it's her. It was her home. Oh wow. And this um, black investment. But he's like the first person to own, like a. Either stock on an exchange or something. So he has some moniker in the in the business world, sort of the finance world. But he owns it now. His family owns it, and it was her estate, and it's beautiful, and it's just there. So it would be someplace like that, and it would be probably a group of chefs. Somebody like Banks, and somebody mm-hmm. like um, Dwayne, like all of the chefs that I think are brilliant in one room. How many people? For, I pro- it would probably be. 20-ish because it would be I want to be this I've been having this thing in my mind and I'm, anybody out there who has the resources please let me know <laughs> if but you have capital it, please contact Therese please do <laughs> but this moment like I would want to have women like Jessica Harris and mm-hmm. Winnie Sorensen and um I don't know like Leah Chase and all these women in food or in the periphery like who I think are just amazing at mm-hmm. one table eating food that I don't have to cook, you know. So that's where the Dwayne and all of them come in. Um, but exquisite meal, beautiful setting, and be able to one <clears throat> ask these women these questions that have been on my spirit for so long. So I guess maybe I have to be more than 20 because I think they will have to be more of our generation there too to be able to talk. Mm-hmm. But for my own personal, you know, it would probably be about 20, but just this sort of all these women around this beautifully set table um want to say thank you but also to just get this wealth of knowledge and all answer all these questions mm-hmm. that i have but the food wouldn't matter it would be whatever is delicious so that i know that's why i picked Dwayne and, and uh the food wouldn't matter you wouldn't want like well, a- i think Dwayne and and, and they do it JJ, right. Yes, they they would know. They would know what to do. But <laughs> I think it would have. You know, it would, maybe it would be a collection from all of their all of the women around the tables. Oh, you know, yeah. Inspired by their own work. Like I think be, I think you are in <laughs> real time like drafting the best event I, I've ever heard of. Yeah, I think I might be. <laughs> you, I think I think you are. So what what are people drinking? Um, I think it would be a mix of all these amazing black vintners that I've found over the years. Like Mac McDonald um, from Vision Cellars mm-hmm. has a, he calls it Blanc Gris and it's not a lot of it, but it's this sort of hybrid of um, Pinot Grigio and um, Pinot Grigio, um, Chenin Blanc and Blanc Grigio. I mean, P- P- Chenin Blanc and <laughs> um, Pinot Grigio because mm-hmm. his wife, Miss Lil, liked, I think, the Pinot Grigio and he liked the, um, the, the other grape and mm-hmm. he is like 90 percent her 10 percent him so i mean I, there are all these amazing stories from vendors like that mm-hmm. so it'll be this really so specific selection i find maybe i find some amazing brown sommelier to sort of curate the wine list but it would be specific <laughs> it would be all black everything it would be <laughs> black liquor black wine black, and it would be it. that's what it would be all black that's the name of your event maybe you, so look at this look at this this <laughs> is me the, meant to happen yeah i think it is <laughs> Well, Therese, I could talk to you for <laughs> hours and hours and hours, um, yes. but it's the it's the end of the show, and I'm I'm, That's I'm honestly a little a little sad because I love talking to you. You're <laughs> such a wealth of knowledge. Um, can you let listeners know where they can find you? Sure. So um, my site is 
blackculinaryhistory.com. It is literally this landing space for all things brown food. Um, it's going to got some surprises for you guys in the next year. I mean, the kind of new year. Um, but on social media, everywhere, I'm Black Culinary. So Twitter, Instagram, all that. Um, and also our group on Facebook. Please come and join and see the conversations mm-hmm. that are happening. So many people are so generous with their time. And folks you know and don't know or should know. 33,000 so, people yeah, around 30, the world 30, 30, talking about yeah. Black culinary history. So it's a beautiful thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on The Thanks Hungry Society. Me. Thanks for having me. I'm so inspired by the fact that you are here doing Aww. this work now. You are a couple months in, but it has been spectacular so far. <laughs> and I see, I'm telling you that you are changing the game. So Aww. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week on The Hungry Society. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter, Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.